this is the third week of uh, the uh, Amen series that we're doing and studying the book of John. And this week we're going to look at uh, one of my favorite passages out of John, uh, the book of John, the gospel of John. It's John chapter 5. We're going to read a few verses here out of John chapter 5 because this is the story about Bethesda and where the name of Bethesda Church came from out of the Bible. It's John chapter 5. So let's read verses 19 through 29. Let's stand as we read and uh, look into this scripture and, and let it explain some stuff to us. Jesus speaking. And Jesus explains, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatsoever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than helping than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he has given the Son the absolute authority to judge. Did you hear that? Jesus said the Father gave him the right to judge. Have you ever heard somebody tell you, don't judge me? Have you ever told somebody, don't judge me? Jesus has the right to judge you. He inherited that right from the Father because the Father created anything anyway. Where did I end? Okay, so that everyone will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they will already pass from death to life. And I assure you that the time is coming, and indeed it's already here, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has, has life in himself, and he has granted the same life, giving power to his Son. And he was given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son. And they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray today that you would allow us to have life-giving principles through your word today. Lord, that we would know how that we should act and how we should uh, live our lives and the things we should do. God, give us uh, things that would help us throughout our lives that we live here on earth. Lord, that we can be prepared to meet you in heaven someday. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. Look to your neighbor and say, Jesus is going to judge me. Jesus is going to judge me. You see, I love this story in John chapter 5 because Jesus comes in to Jerusalem and he's coming because in Jewish custom, it was their custom practice as a Jewish person to go to Jerusalem so many times a year to these uh, feasts that you can go back and read about them in the Old Testament about the feast of the Lord and, and how that God told uh, Israel early on in their uh, inception when Israel became a nation that they, would, they should have feasts. 
and these different feasts uh, had different meanings and they would they would lead the nation of Israel because it always caused them to remember where they came from so some of them was about the feast of tabernacles it's where it's many weeks long and and they actually go outside of their house and they live in tents for so many weeks a year Jewish Israel people still do this today you can go over in Jerusalem and they will spend weeks living in a tent outside their house so that they will always remember what it was like when they lived as uh, foreigners in the land of Egypt. God gave them this uh, feast to, to do so that they would remember. And sometimes we need to remember. We need to remember what God has brought us from and the things he's done in our life. Because if it ever seems like your Christianity is, is becoming stale, maybe it's because you're not remembering enough. Maybe you're not looking back and saying, wow, God, you brought me from the lifestyle I was living to what I'm doing now, and it will re-energize your faith. We need remembering moments in our life, and I thank God that he, he gives us some of those moments, and there's seasons of refreshing, of renewing that comes through the Spirit of God. And it seems like the church goes through stages where that it's, it's seasons, that there, there's waves of grace comes over the church. I thank God for those seasons, don't you? Have you ever been in the law that it seems like your Christianity is wavering a little bit and maybe you're coming a little wishy-washy in your faith and, and a new wave of God's grace will cover you and it feels like everything's made new all over again, just like you're re-saved, if you want to say that word, that, that God's grace is recovering you. I thank God for that. So as this feast is happening and Jesus is coming into town, one of these feasts, and Jesus was one that attended the synagogue. He went to church. He, he was faithful in his religion. There's one amen in an amen sermon series about Jesus being faithful. I said Jesus was faithful. He was faithful in what he did. He was religious. And, you know, there's people that's religious about things, and that means to do something repetitively. Being religious about something don't make you right. We can be religious about going uh, to the post office every morning at 7.08 a.m. You, you can be religious about anything. God's uh, relationship with us, he don't want it to be a religious thing to where that it's like you're a, a, a puppet. Amen? He wants us to have life-giving power that there's, there's something new and refreshing in our life that his spirit makes us new. So as Jesus was religious in going to the temple because it was the right thing to do. He was religious in going to the feast because it's the right thing to do. Look at your neighbor and say, you ought to be faithful. You ought to be faithful. Why? Because Jesus was faithful. Is it to be a Christian saying we're to be Christ-like? That's what Christian means, to be Christ-like. If Jesus was faithful, how faithful was she? should we be? I'm not saying this to get you to come to church. I'm saying to get, to get you to heaven. Amen? If Jesus was faithful, we ought to be faithful. And it's encouraging to me to see this. So as Jesus comes through, he don't always take the path that the religious uh, objectors would take. Jesus don't take the same journey that most uh, people in the church would take even, I believe. That if Jesus was here in, in our current generation and living here with us today, uh, earthly in his body, I, th I don't think he would act like a lot of church people act. How many believes that? I, I don't believe he would like, act like a lot of church people act. We, we don't follow Jesus' pattern because sometimes his pattern is unpredictable. 
Jesus is totally unpredictable. And so Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He don't go by uh, through the big main gate. He goes through the sheep gate. And it, as he goes through, and you read this story in John chapter 5, as he goes through, he ends up by this pool that's known as the Pool of Bethesda. And that's where all the sick, the blind, the lame, all those that maim, it talks about in John chapter 5, they're laying there waiting on an angel to come and stir the water so they can be healed. How many of those people believe in the wrong things sometimes? When what they need is the truth. And a lot of times it's us. I'm pointing right back at us. It's not everybody else. Sometimes I believe the wrong thing, and I need the truth of Jesus to set me free from my own thought process. These people were laying there expecting an angel to come to heal them when they ought to have been laying there expecting Jesus to come and heal them. Who are you expecting to bring you through what you're going through right now? Are you expecting your own wisdom or your own knowledge or maybe your own understanding to get you out of your situation? Maybe you ought to be laying there saying, man, I'm glad Jesus is getting ready to come through because when he comes through, then things are going to change. If I want change in my life, Jesus is the change I ought to desire. He's the change I need in my life. So these people were laying there. Jesus comes through and he heals this one guy. He'd been laying there for 30-some years, sick. That's a long time. A long time. 30, I'm 38, 39 years old, getting ready to turn 40. This guy's been sick that long. That's a long time. And he's laying there. He's expecting angels to heal him. doesn't happen. Jesus walks up and says, hey, are, you're sick. Do you want to be made well? Get, well, rise up and take your bed and walk. The guy gets up and walks. How many knows that makes Jesus a little bit different than everybody else? Because all the religious people would have walked by and said, well, wait on the angel. You know, you know that water moves every now and then. Just wait on that angel to come. That's what's going to heal you. There is no, I, I, don't, I don't believe it's like a fairy dust or like a genie in a bottle. We, we shouldn't use Jesus like that. We should let him move in his seasons in the time when he has the right to make the move in our life. And this guy laying there sick and, and beat down by life and been troubled and afflicted all of his life, he was waiting on salvation from some uh, uh, different uh, type of uh, religion that he had grew up knowing that the angels stirred the water. And he was expecting that. But then Jesus comes through. How long has it been since you let Jesus walk over top of you and say, get up, quit doing what you're doing, and walk? time for Christians to start walking. Maybe it's been too long that we as Christians has been laying, waiting on a certain type or season or something else to happen when Jesus is just saying, rise up, take up your bed and walk. He's wanting us to move. He's wanting us to be active in our faith. Amen? And we have all these versions of Jesus. It's just amazing to me how that these versions of Jesus that we, we pick out and we, we serve one type of Jesus. And this guy didn't even know who Jesus was. He had laid there on the side of this uh, pool of Bethesda. He had never even heard of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That the message of Jesus Christ, Jesus was on the earth walking around teaching and preaching the kingdom of God, telling people about the good news that blind people could see, the deaf could hear, the dead could be raised. He was telling the story that God come to redeem mankind. And guess what? All those people that heard all those messages of Jesus out on the hillside, not one of them, not one had went by the pool of Bethesda to say to the people that was hurting the most that, hey, Jesus is here, the Messiah is here. This guy had never heard of Jesus. 
Isn't that amazing to you? It amazes me how that the, the, the ones among our society, maybe the ones that's broken and, and, and that's in the turmoils of this life that are, are downtrodden by humanity, they're not the ones hearing about Jesus. We can get in our vehicles and drive down our big paved roads and, and come into our heated building and, and, and padded pews, and, and we can have the, our version of Jesus. When truly we ought to be telling the people that's never heard about him that's hurting way more than we ever was that we ought to be telling them. There's truth in these scriptures whether we like it or not. These, this is the truth I'm presenting you this morning. Jesus, don't tell the people sitting. And you know it's amazing to me that 5,000 people just uh, prior to this that Jesus had fed them out on the mountain on the hillside up in, in the upper regions of, of Israel he had fed 5,000 people with two fish and, and a couple of loaves of bread and told them about his kingdom coming, that things were changing for humanity. 5,000 people didn't tell not one. How amazing is it for us, sitting in our churches, that we hear our version of Jesus and us, we get so comfortable with it, and we don't tell the ones that's out there in the highways and byways that's hurting in the forces of life. We don't tell them about Jesus. I thank God for the young people that's that's coming, like up to Kentucky Heights, that's never read their Bible, that's getting getting in, involved and, and throwing themselves in, and, and, and they're running around, and she's telling people at her work. She said, it's amazing because they're looking at me, and they're looking at me like, is this going to stick? Is her, is her Christianity, is this just a fling she's on, or is this going to work? They're, they're waiting for her to fail in her faith, but she's still telling about Jesus either way. How long has it been since you went to somebody that was hurting, sick, afflicted, and told them about Jesus? It's a question we should all ask ourselves. I, I do. I tell people about Jesus. I tell people about what God has done in my life. I, I'm not telling you to do something that I won't do myself. I, 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 there's times where the, the enemy tries to tell me, you know, you need, to, you need to do this or you need to not tell them. You need to hold back and not, not do that because of certain reasons. I'm not listening to the devil. Amen? I want to tell people about what God's done in my life. But these versions of Jesus in America amazes me. So as, as we look at some of these pictures of Jesus, I want us to see that there's different versions of Jesus and we all kindly worship our version. Amen? We all got our own versions that we like. So, Leslie, can you put a couple of these up here, the pictures? Not that one. There's a picture of some Jesus that people like. The lovey-dovey Jesus that don't ever do anything. He's just all about love and just, it's all love. And you hear, you hear him, right? You, there's Christians that just, well, Jesus Jesus won't judge me. He loves me. Uh-huh. I wouldn't want to be sitting in your seat when you pass from this life into death because the lovey-dovey Jesus is going to judge you. We read it in the scripture a minute ago. Jesus said, I am the judge. He has the right to judge us because his father told him, you will judge humanity. And the only condition he says in order for he is love. God is love. And the Bible even says that, you know, that uh, John says God is love. 
He is. But he's a God of judgment, too. He loves you enough that he's telling you that I've made a way for you to be redeemed from your sin. All you got to do is accept me. There ain't no greater love than that. So, let's go to the next picture. Anybody ever seen that one before? That's the historical Jesus, the, the Christ, American Christian version of Jesus. Most churches you go into, they'll have that picture of Jesus, and, and they worship the, the version of Jesus, that uh, America, Americana version of Jesus, what I call it. They, they made an American version of Jesus, and they think Jesus uh, worships America. I don't believe that, not for a second. I believe that America ought to worship Jesus, that Jesus shouldn't be formed to worship America. I believe in our flag. I will not desecrate our flag. I will not step on our flag. I won't do any of that. But I'm telling you today that America's version of Jesus, that they act like that he, he has to worship us, that's the wrong answer. The Bible says he resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. So if our pride is what in our American version of Jesus, we shouldn't have that. That shouldn't be our version. Next. What version do you think this is? This is the Hollywood version. He's the he's the glamorized version, and they just picture him as this just big. Oh, you know, they hear all these noises and background music, and they try to uh, make a, a a Hollywood version that he's that he's. Uh, 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 I don't even know what to even talk about that. I don't think that would be the version of Jesus we'd see if he would come to Earth today. Leslie listened to the song a while back. We was driving in the car, and, and I don't even It's a, a song back in the 90s, and I bought the CD when I was way back when. Joan Osborne. What if God was one of us? You know the song about Joan Osborne back in the 90s? And she was talking about what if he was a, a homeless person on a bus? I think that would be the version of Jesus we'd meet because Jesus said uh, the Son of Man don't have a place to lay down his head. The Son of Man doesn't have all these things. He wouldn't be the Hollywood version of Jesus that we try to picture him as. He would be the homeless guy on the side of the street. He would be the person that would be out leading the hurting people. He would be helping the, the sick and afflicted like he did in the story we read in John chapter 5. Next picture. <laughs> it's the same picture. But these are the words you hear a lot of times from people. I follow Jesus, not the Bible. I can tell you without a doubt that I believe this with my whole heart. You can't have Jesus without the Bible. If you want Jesus, you've got to have the Bible. And if you want to believe the Bible like it's supposed to be believed, you've got to have Jesus. You see these religious leaders in John chapter 5 that got on to Jesus because he told the man to pick up the bed. They had the Bible, but they didn't have Jesus. I believe we've got to have both. I don't want just my Bible and, not, and my version of Jesus that I'm reading the picture of Jesus through the Word. That's what these religious leaders was doing. So we have to have both. Look at your neighbor and say, you need both. Both what? What, what do they need? Do you believe your neighbor needs Jesus? <laughs> Leslie tells Earl all the time, says, you need Jesus. <laughs> Earl tells her, too, you need Jesus. We all need Jesus, right? We don't need our version of Jesus. We need the true biblical account of Jesus that's according to Scripture. 
I don't want my version of Jesus. I've got to have the biblical account of who Jesus is and what he did and what he acted like. So you cannot have Jesus without the Bible. Amen. This is an amen series. I'm going to say it again. You can't have Jesus without the Bible. Next picture, please. This is a way back when version. This was the uh, Catholic, if you want to call it, through the Catholic ages of, of the Christian church where the, the Catholic tried to picture, uh, made their picture of Jesus. This is their version. And I don't believe that we can look at Jesus through a historical lens and think that we have the, uh, 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 the patent on Jesus. I don't believe that any church has the copyright on Jesus. I don't believe we have a trademark on Jesus. Amen? Because, you, you know, if you have a logo and you make a logo like the Bethesda logo, if you don't put the trademark emblem on it, somebody else can claim that as their own. So you have to put a trademark emblem on it or you have to uh, submit it to the United States government for a copyright so that if anybody copies it, they have to pay you royalties. And you see the Catholic Church back in the early first centuries of, of time, they tried to put a copyright on Jesus. Amen? But that isn't, <laughs> that isn't the way it's supposed to be. Jesus don't want to be copyrighted. He wants freedom to be able to go into tribes of nations that, that maybe nobody else will go to. And he wants to have the right to be able to, to uh, rule in the earth the way he wants to. That part of the certain church don't put their uh, uh, trademark on him and say, only my version of Jesus matters. And I can tell you this, and I, I love the assemblies of God. I, I, I cherish that, that they have ordained me in the gospel. And they, they tested me for four years to make sure that my faith and my doctrine stood up to the test of what they wanted. I'm glad for that heritage that, that I, I made a, 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 a through, I had to take 8, 16, 24 classes. I had to do a lot of stuff to become ordained in the Assemblies of God. But I can tell you today that the Assemblies of God don't have a trademark on Jesus. They don't have a copyright on Jesus. We can't claim that we're the only church in Lewis County. You know how many churches in Lewis County? How many do you think? How many? 70, 40, 90, 60? There's one church in Lewis County. There might be 73 different versions, but there's one church. We're all together. We're not all separate. We might meet in different buildings. Some of them might have stained glass. Some of them might have organs. Some of them, there's all different types and versions, but we're all just one church. And if the church of Jesus Christ would ever join forces and quit dividing ourselves, what good could we do? I'm glad that there's a ministerial association in Lewis County, and I don't get to go to a lot of the meetings, but I believe that as ministers meet together, and they, they uh, discuss things like uh, Project Merry Christmas and, and things like back to school and, and the different things they do. As the preachers get together, we're better off than we are separate. Amen. I don't need my trademark of Jesus. I don't want to leave a legacy of Pastor Ben's version of Jesus and somebody to make some religious and go off on a tangent. I want the real Jesus. I want the real Jesus. The same of God is not the only boat in the water. As a church, we're all collective, one church. Next picture. 
know what this version of Jesus is? This is, yeah, the version of Jesus that Jesus just wants to kill everybody. I got the discussion a while back with a person that's a, he don't even go to church, but he claims he's religious and he quotes scriptures a lot and he, he tries to always uh, argue his points and talk about and discuss the Bible and stuff. And he, he, he really believes in this version of Jesus. It saddens my heart to think. And I, I was talking to him. He's like, yeah, but you know, you've got you to stand up and you've got to fight. And you, I, I, I believe that there is a time and place. And he said, well, Old Testament's full of wars. And look at David. And he was giving all these principles. And I said, look, you're talking about a day and age where that God was backing them and telling them to do this. This was God's voice saying, go to war. It's sad. And war is not something, I don't believe God's up in heaven being like, yes, they're getting ready to start another war. I can't wait for World War III. Yay, yippee, Jesus, go tell them and talk to all them people and tell them, go to World War III, it's going to be great. I don't think that's God's will at all. Jesus said, he that picks up the sword dies by the sword. I'm grateful to live in the land of the free, and I'm grateful for our military, and I'm grateful for the people that's fought for our freedom. My, my grandpa, he, he went through and it was a prisoner of war for three years. I thank God for the heritage I have in America, but I don't want the version of Jesus to think that the American version of Jesus is the one we have to protect. And I don't think America needs to take sides sometimes against different people groups. It saddens my heart, and I, I look at these missionaries, Ernie, and I see there's one missionary that's on our under-40 group as Assembly of God pastors, and they, these young people, they moved over to Palestine. They moved to Palestine to be missionaries to this people group. And in our same group, the under-40 group, there's people that gets on there and promotes all the time. you got to stand with Israel. You have to stand with Israel. You have to stand with Israel. What about Palestine? Does God not love them? You see, sometimes it takes an awakening moment where we realize who's God for. God's for humanity. I believe God is for Israel. I really do. And I believe we ought to help Israel and we ought to promote Israel and we ought to, we ought to aid them and help them. But I also believe we ought to help the Palestinian people too. They're humans too. They've never heard about Jesus. They're like this poor man that's in our story that was laying sick and busted and disgusted, laying by the pool and didn't know a way out. And until somebody told him about Jesus, because Jesus had to go through by himself because nobody would say nothing. I thank God that we've got missionaries today in Palestine. I don't ridicule them and say, well, you're not, you're not preaching Jesus. You're over there with the wrong crowd. It's not us versus them. I don't want a military version of Jesus. I believe he can protect us. Amen? And I believe we ought to, we ought to help. And I'm not talking about uh, defunding our military. I, I believe in our military. As Americans, I'm glad we've got a naval force. I'm glad we've got an air force. I'm glad we've got Marines and an army. I'm glad that we've got tanks. I'm glad we've got this stuff for protection. But I, shouldn't, I, I really don't believe that ought to be our line of defense that we think that's going to save us. You go back and read the Old Testament. Sometimes the people with the biggest armies and the most weapons lost. If God, I love it, the quote from Abraham Lincoln, when one of the generals walked up and said, you know, Abraham, you're, you're praying, and, and Mr. Lincoln, President Lincoln, you, uh, are you praying that God will be with us? God will be for us. Abraham Lincoln said, no, 
I'm not praying that God will be with us. I'm praying we'll be with God. I don't want him to be on my side. I want to be on his side. I'm not requiring him to fit my ideology, my maybe my my people group, and maybe my uh, voter registration card. I'm not dependent on Jesus to match my voter registration card. I think I think there's a certain certain part of Jesus that would be Democratic, and there's a certain part of Jesus that would be Republican. There's also a certain part of Jesus that would be Independent. I believe he would be a Libertarian. I believe there's not a people group in, in our election cycle that Jesus wouldn't be a part of because he cares about humanity. Amen? So we can't force him down to our box. We need to be on his side. Next, Ashley. There was a church in Middlesbrough, Kentucky, and when we was, we pastored it down there, and, and it was... Is a reality check for me because growing up in Lewis County, sometimes you you see uh, you see uh, uh, racism in a way that sometimes you think it's right. And when we moved to Middlesboro, I got to see the reality of racism because when we moved down there, the same year we moved there, that they come in, the KKK come in to our town, and they say that they represent a religious group of people. And some of them even say that they, they represent Jesus as a KKK. They'll burn crosses in people's yards. That ain't the version from Jesus that I want. There's one amen. I, I'll say it again. I don't care if you like it or not. That's not the version of Jesus I want. And in that town, the main drag through town the main road's called Cumberland Avenue. On the left side, Ernie and Karen's been down there. On the left side, that's the black part of town. On the right side, that's the white part of town. We got to see firsthand. And, and what I thank God about our church down there was there was, there was some uh, the black people started coming to our side of the street. Our church was on the white side of town. There's black people that lived in apartments across the road, just, just right across the street, a couple blocks over, and they started coming over to our church. Remember Sister Mary Faith? It was awesome. The, the girls, uh, Starlin, yeah. <laughs> we would go over there and eat at, their, at the projects with them. Leslie ate neck bones. I'm not eating neck bones. I don't. <laughs> they, they ate what them other things, them. Pete guts or something. I, I know. <laughs> but they would eat this stuff. And I was like, whoa, fix me a hamburger. So they got used to it, and they would just fix me hamburgers when I went over. So they hot dogs, something like that. They'd grill something for me. But they'd eat all this other stuff. And Leslie went to the church one time on the other side of the street, which was the black church. Leslie went to their church, and they had this version of Jesus hanging in their church. It's a reality check. And they, and they put Jesus in this box that he has to fit our grace. And that's why some of these so pictures are so sad because they put Jesus in a, in a, a, a white guy with blue eyes and, and they, all these versions of Jesus, they, they, they fit our race. But I don't believe Jesus picks a race. Amen. I don't believe Jesus picks a race. I don't think he looks down and says, wow, they're white. I'm going to go get them. That's my favorite. I don't think he looks over in Japan and says, well, that's Orientals. I'm going to go love them. That's them good people right there. We're all God's favorites. 
There is no difference in God. There is, there is no race to God. He, he don't have a certain people group that he is going to be interested in and not the others. So I don't believe we need to make our version of Jesus to meet our race. But I feel sorry for the black church that they had to get to this point where that they had to make Jesus into their black race. But truly, if we truly, truly saw the true Jesus, next, next slide. Here's another version of Jesus I think of. I thought this one was cool. The cool Jesus. Some people believe in the cool Jesus. They, I've seen them, you know, some of these uh, evangelists, they, they, they treat Jesus like he's a, the cool version of Jesus, and they preach the cool version so that everybody will think he's cool, and they want to be a part of it. There's Ryan Beatty added a photo. Um, here's another cool version of Jesus. He's like the, the uh, work version. You know, some people's got the work version of Jesus. They, you know, they, they serve Jesus at work because it gets them... Uh, it elevates them maybe in their workplace and they, they serve him because they think, well, he's the cool Jesus. He's the work Jesus. I think Jesus at work, don't you? He, he said, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat. So I believe Jesus worked. He was a carpenter. Most people ain't amen, and I'll say it again. I believe Jesus worked. <laughs> I believe I believe he believed in work. If he's a carpenter, that means he had to he had to work, right? You get you don't get the title if you don't do the work. So uh, next slide. Here's a really cool picture of Jesus. This comes from the from the uh, cloth that they've got over there. It's over in, uh, I think it's in, uh, uh, not in Rome. I think it's in Greece. But they hold this, uh, uh, it's the material that they believe that Jesus was wrapped in. You've maybe seen on the History Channel or on the Discovery Channel, they've done some stories on this, the, the, the cloth that Jesus was wrapped in whenever he was uh, in the grave with his grave clothes. And they believe they've got this uh, uh, the actual cloth that he was wrapped in. And so this cloth they took and they, they kind of, uh, because of the way they said there was so much power, the way some of the stories on one of the History Channel was talking about, that, that uh, it superimposed Jesus' imprint on that cloth. There's blood stains on the cloth and all that, so it was it was more than likely, I, I believe, that it probably could be the cloth that Jesus was wrapped in. So with this cloth, they can kind of uh, see and see what the picture of Jesus would be like. So this could be a very well possible that this is the true picture of Jesus. He doesn't fit the mold that a lot of us picture him as this kind of cute, hunky version of Jesus. In Isaiah 53, it says there's no comeliness about him that we would desire him. So Jesus wasn't a good-looking guy. You waiting for lightning to strike me? or <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> Jesus wasn't uh, uh, Fabio. It just that wasn't who he was. He, this is a picture, I think, of probably what Jesus would look like. And they took this, and they, they superimposed this in another way, too. Next slide, I think it is. No, that's another picture of black Jesus. Um, there's another, like the superimposed part. Is there another one? I had another one. No, I lost it. Good one. But they done like from that picture right there, they took and made it into a 3D-like image, and they, they showed what a true image of Jesus would have looked like. And it's, it, it's nothing like what we would think in our minds. And my whole point of all this is that the guy that got healed in John chapter 5 He got imprinted with this version of Jesus, that Jesus, as the healer, Jesus as the healer. 
And when the people ask him, well, who healed you? Who, who told you to take up your bed and walk? He didn't know who Jesus was. He said, I don't even know his name. I don't know nothing about him. All I know is I was sick and now I'm well. I believe in the healing Jesus. And as he, as he talked about that and they started questioning him, they, who, who, you got to find him and, and why not? Jesus comes to him later in, in, in the story, and that's where we read just a little bit ago, about Jesus talking to this guy that he healed. He's telling him, go and sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. Here's the point I want to make from this story is, is whenever we make our version of Jesus whatever we want him to be and we put him in this little box that we make our version of Jesus and think that we've got a copyright on him or a patent on Jesus, I believe is the moment where we make a big mistake because then it's about what we want and not what he wants. I want to believe in the version of Jesus where that he changes my life. He changed my life in past tense, but he also changes my life in the current tense. Right now, I want Jesus to continue to change me. I don't want to just change once at the point of salvation when I prayed at an altar that that's when I felt God and God moved and changed me and changed some of my desires and made me better. I don't want to worship that version of Jesus. I want a current, practical, right now, in the moment version of Jesus where he continues to change me. And as I was praying about this sermon, I was thinking about us as a church and how, how are we as a church moving and continuing to move in the pattern that Jesus set instead of the version we want of our past tense of what he's done in our life rather than about what he's doing in our life. When's the last time you said, Jesus, change me? How long has it been since you've been praying prayers saying, Jesus, not that you changed me back then, but thank you for changing me, Jesus. But And quit praying, thank you for changing me back then, 30 years ago, or in my case, uh, uh, 17 years ago that I got saved. I could, I could worship him for saving me 17 years ago. But when's the last time that I prayed, Jesus, change me today. Make me better today. I'm still not who you've called me to be. I'm still not as good as you want me to be. I'm still not as sanctified as you want me to be. I need the right now Jesus to come in my life and change me today. I hope there's some people in here listening to me today because I need you to know you don't need the past tense Jesus. You need the current tense Jesus. You need him actively involved right now. And when you're waking up or like Earl this week, I thank God for the version of Jesus that Earl's driving down the road on a slick road, probably going too fast. Come on, Earl, tell the truth. Tell the truth, probably going too fast. Landon's in the truck with him, and they're, they're going down the road, got the trailer on the truck, and the truck slips. Next thing you know, they wreck, pile into the guardrail, tear the truck up, tear the trailer up. You don't need a past tense version of Jesus right there. You need him to be riding in the truck with you. And when you call out and say, God, help me, Jesus, help me, save me, protect my boy, and the mother's prayers, and I, I guarantee you Amy was praying over them as they was driving down the road because it's already slick, and it's probably Earl's harebrained idea about going, and I hear Amy saying, Earl, you better not go, it's too slick, and you can't do that. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> probably the truth, but I guarantee you Amy was praying. We need the current Jesus, actively involved at the moment, in the moment, all hours of our life. But I want him to change me. I don't just want him to protect me. I want him to change me. I'm desiring change in my life. Is there anybody with me in this place?
Let's just let him play. I want the version of Jesus where he changes people and they don't act like they used to act. This guy in, in John chapter 5 where Jesus met him and, and Jesus changed him and worked on him, he was changed that moment when he met Jesus. When Jesus finally showed up, everything changed. And I believe that God wants to be actively involved in our lives in all moments. I don't believe there's times where that he walks away and says, yeah, I'm just going to let them ride this one out. I'm going to let them think their way through this. I think he wants to be actively involved every moment of our lives. There might be times where he's quiet. There might be times where he don't, we can't hear him as well as we do other times. Love you, Lily. That's a sneaky look. <laughs> Let's stand. Father, I thank you today, Lord, that you are changing us, that you're molding us as a church, as a group, as a collective body. And God, I pray as for the people of Bethesda, Lord, that when we join together, that we wouldn't come just, Lord, to worship you for what you have done. But Lord, we would worship you for what you're doing actively in the moment in our life. Lord, that we would come in with rejoicing in our hearts, just as the Apostle Paul said, that we would rejoice always. And again, he said to rejoice. God, help us to be a rejoicing people. Lord, that we're so glad that you're actively involved in every moment of our life. Lord, I thank you for protecting my friends and, and our family here at Bethesda. Lord, I thank you for your protection over them. But Lord, I thank you so much more that I can see Earl changing, that you ain't just protecting him, but Lord, you're changing him. Lord, I thank you when I get to sit and talk with him that he talks about that he, he's now listening to Christian music where he didn't once do that. Lord, you're actively involved in his life. And Lord, as the radio broadcasts and he listens, God, that he, he, he interprets your word at that moment to be present with him. So Lord, most of all today, I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would work through this place and Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be working on people's hearts. And Lord, that they would recognize that they need you, Lord, in a presence tense setting. Lord, that they're tired of acting like they act. Lord, that they will once again say that I'm not all that I think that I am. I'm not as holy as I should be. And God, I need your help. Holy Spirit, move on your people. Cause us to see ourselves in the condition that we're in. And Lord, there's some people here, Lord, that's been in church for a long time. Lord, that they need to see their faults. And Lord, you need to open up those faults to them and begin to work on them and change them, God, from the inside out. Lord, I pray for your holiness to come in this place. Lord, make us like Isaiah when he's seen you, Lord, and your train filled the temple, Lord, that he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. This was a prophet of God, and he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Lord, I thank you today that your holiness is beyond our, our, our uh, we can't even reach that, God, but you said in your word to be holy as you are holy. God, I pray that you work on hearts today. Everybody here, if you just bow your head, close your eyes.
there anybody here that'll raise their hand and say, Pastor Ben, I feel like God's called me closer to him. He's, he's called me to be more holy than I am now. I need to change, and he's telling me I need to change. Anybody raise your hand? Say, I need to change. I need to change. I need to change. He's telling me I need to change. Multiple people. Just ask him right now. I want you in your own words. I don't want you repeating after me today. I want you just in your own words. Begin to pray right now. God, change me. Lord, Lord, work on me. Lord, as pastor of this church, Lord, I pray today that you would change me as the pastor. Lord, that you would allow me to lead in a way that is, is pleasing to you, God. Lord, that my words would be your words. And Lord, that, that, that my actions, Lord, would, would be like you would act. And Lord, I, I just ask for forgiveness right now for, for making a, a version of you that's the Pastor Ben version of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would change my mind, my philosophies, the way I think about things. God, that you would change me to think like you think, to act like you act. Thank you, Jesus, for working in this place. God, I thank you today that you're changing hearts here at Bethesda. Lord, I know that you're working on this church through this message series. Lord, as we say amen, don't let it be amen to what we want, but let it be amen to what you want, God. This is my prayer. This is my plea. here to just sing that if you will. Leslie, you'll sing that. If you made that decision today and you're asking God to help you, I want you to sing this as a prayer. Thank you. 
the hour. This is the day. Let's turn your life over to Him. Speak. 